Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We have been exploring some of the unreasonable expectations that are heaped upon us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And some of these come from outside of our communion, outside of the church, and others come from within. Some are blessed enough to be both. And today, we're going to focus on one that seems to come more from within than from outside critique of us. But the idea that is that real Christians don't backslide. Real Christians get on board with Jesus and they stay on board. Now, they might make mistakes and might have some minor errors, but they don't do anything egregious. They don't backslide or fall off the wagon when it comes to being with Jesus. Instead, they are so committed that we don't have to worry about them. And if you were to backslide, then we would have to question whether or not you were really a Christian, which is probably not our role anyway. But as we go about the scripture today, we have this gem, this real beautiful moment between Jesus and Peter and the other apostles. Peter has come to Jesus and says, I want to know what the standard is. Go right to the source and ask Jesus, what is the expectation for forgiving someone? Not just anyone, according to the text, but somebody within the church. Someone that is part of this covenant that recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ. Another Christian. What is the standard by which I should forgive them? How many times do I have to endure one of my brothers or sisters in faith messing up and hurting my feelings or, or doing damage to me? How many times do I have to go through this process with them? And he even offers a fine suggestion seven times. I mean, that's once a day for an entire week. It seems sufficient to most of us. At that point, are you really trying? And so Peter offers this suggestion, and Jesus says, absolutely not. You're way off base, not seven times, but 77, or some scriptures record seven times seven, that you have to do it over and over again to the fullness of it, that there is no ending to the way in which we must forgive. And he says this because he wants us to receive the forgiveness that God is giving to us first, and then model it, practice it for others, especially those that are within the body of Christ. We have to show one another this radical mercy and compassion if we ever expect other people to appreciate the gospel and the forgiveness and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ upon the cross. And as he is saying this, he drifts off into one of his favorite things, an allegorical story, a parable to display just exactly what he expects of us. And today's lesson is a bit of a negative lesson you have a monarch, a king, who is overseeing an entire nation of people and has called in his slaves, those who are already in service to this nation, and has asked that we settle accounts. And the first slave that comes in has an incredible debt owed. Owes, according to the text, this incredible lifetime of debt, 10,000 talents, now, a talent is 15 years' worth of your wage. And this person owes 10,000 of those. That's more than anybody could ever live, anybody could ever pay back. In fact, the Greek in that is myriad, just a plethora 
a huge amount. Now, 10,000 doesn't sound like a giant amount to us, but if we were to break this down, this is actually more than all the tribute that the region of Galilee paid to Rome in all the time that it was under Roman authority. That's how much money we're talking about. It is an impossible amount to repay. For us, it would be the concept of trillions and trillions of dollars that one individual person owed. And so this is what he, is have to, this is what he has to pay back. And he knows that he can't pay it back. He couldn't pay it back in an entire lifetime. And so he, he falls down to his knees when he hears that the king will have him sold into slavery as well as his wife and his children and all that he owes just in an attempt to pay back this debt. And he falls to his knees and he asks for mercy. He says, have patience. Just give me some time. I will pay you everything as if it's possible, as if it's even possible to pay back this level of debt. But it says, out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him, set him free, and forgave the debt completely. Didn't take off, you know, a few talents off the top just to make it more attainable. Forgave the debt entirely. Radical forgiveness. And then that slave and his newfound freedom proceeds to walk out from the presence of the Lord and he encounters another one of his fellow slaves, someone else in service to the kingdom, and recognizes that this man owes him. So in a display of anger, wrath, and physical violence, grabs him by the throat and declares that he will pay what he owes. And this slave, the second slave, falls down and pleads with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But the first slave refused. In fact, he was so angry and so full of the power of this moment that he has the second slave thrown into prison until he can pay his debt, which is rather counterintuitive. How are you supposed to pay your debt if you're stuck in prison? You can't work out your debt. So he's actually sentenced him to a lifetime of separation and hopelessness. But the other slaves have seen this, and they're disturbed. So they go back to the Lord and convey what has happened. And then the Lord summons the first slave and declares him to be wicked. I forgave you everything. This incredible level of debt, I forgave you. You could never have worked it off, and yet I gave you forgiveness. Should you not have practiced the same? Because the other slave only owed 100 denarii. I mean, we're only talking a denarii is a day's wage, so 100 days' worth of wage compared to a lifetime of debt that you could never repay. And he said, you know, I had mercy on you, but you had no mercy for another. And Jesus says that, the king handed over that slave to suffer as he would have the other suffer so that he would understand the magnitude of his refusal to be merciful and forgive. And Jesus has a warning for us. So too will it be like for you if you are unwilling to forgive a sibling in Christ. Now we were probably all fine till the warning came back on us. Like, oh, he means us. But the truth is that we are expected to be merciful people. Jesus says this earlier on in the gospel. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The forgiveness, the aspect of setting somebody free from pain and suffering is huge for Jesus. It is a hallmark of his ministry. It is a central seed in the gospel. And for us to model that, for us to receive it from God and then practice it for other people is paramount to being a Christian and living out our faith. We can't claim to know and love Jesus Christ if we aren't willing to know, love, and forgive other people. That is the foundation upon the gospel. That God's love was so powerful in its liberation, so extreme in its mercy and forgiveness, that other people who have received it must do likewise. 
that we will bless because we have been blessed. We will love because we have been loved, even when we were unlovable. We will forgive because we have been forgiven everything. Everything. And yet how many times have we been wronged and we have used that power to forgive and kind of lorded it over the person seeking our forgiveness? Well, I'm not ready to forgive you yet. Well, I don't know that you're truly sorry enough. Maybe you should show me that you're really sorry. What if God treated us like this? But the truth and the joy is that God does not. We understand that there is nothing that we can do for which God will not forgive us. The second we repent, the second we turn and ask for God's forgiveness, it is ours. Why do we not respond the same way to a brother or sister in Christ? Why is there this moment where we think, maybe I won't forgive you. Maybe you're not deserving yet. Maybe I'll let you suffer a little bit, and then we'll see if I feel like forgiving you. Or maybe we declare to ourselves there are some things that are unforgivable, antithetical to the gospel. For Jesus says, I came to save the world and every sin in it. I came to bring radical liberation from our sins. As the psalm says, to set them far apart, our transgressions, to remove them from us. And yet we like to hold other people's transgressions so close. We like to cling to them and use them to beat other people down and to remind them of how they made us feel rather than to do what the Lord did and forgive the debt entirely. Instead, it's like we're keeping in the back of our minds that, oh yes, you once hurt me. But God doesn't keep in the back of God's mind that we were sinners. God sets us free. And that is the standard by which we are to forgive. Now, the struggle with this is that forgiveness is a difficult thing to do, absolutely. And we recognize that sometimes, even after we forgive and we seek to be reconciled, it doesn't mean that everything is restored to the way it once was. That unfortunately, when Jesus is talking about our relationship with other human beings, we recognize that there can be a level of sinfulness that is very difficult to overcome especially when we're talking about violence and people who have abused the gift of forgiveness in order to justify returning again and again to do physical and mental harm. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the body of Christ who are committed to God and to one another to modeling something radical, to choose to forgive rather than to seek vengeance upon one another. And we struggle with this. There are many people within our own congregation who have struggled with forgiveness. This week I was having a conversation with somebody who was really struggling because they had tried to do the right thing. They were struggling to do what they thought God wanted them to do and to do it the right way, and yet despite their best efforts, something went wrong and somebody was hurt. And you feel like you can't win at all. I try to do good and bad happens. I do bad and bad happens. So how do we win? We win in the forgiveness. But this person was struggling with forgiving themselves. And sometimes that can be the most difficult thing for us to do, is to recognize that not only are we in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we ourselves are a sibling of Christ. And sometimes we have to forgive ourselves too. We struggle with that. How many times has God forgiven you for something and you can't forgive yourself? And if you can't forgive yourself, then you will struggle with ever forgiving someone else. It is a radical erasing of the debt that Jesus describes for us, for us too. 
came and suffered and died and set us free so that we wouldn't be burdened by the debt that would be incurred by our forgiveness. For no person could work off the salvation that we received by the cross. There is nothing that we could do, even if we managed to work from the very first time that we were a toddler and could step until the day of our last breath, we could never repay God for what God has done for us. None of us could. And that's not what God wants. God isn't asking for us to repay the debt of the cross. God is asking for us to share its glory, to let other people know that their debt was paid too, that they too are freed, that we can forgive because we have been forgiven. Jesus models this. Jesus is talking to one of the pinnacle apostles. He's talking to Peter and the others are gathered around listening because I know that you know this happens, right? Somebody stops to talk and everybody's like, whoa, what are they talking about? And they're doing that. They're listening. They're learning from the interaction that Paul is having. Perhaps they've even conspired with, with Peter. Here, ask the question and see what Jesus says. And then as they listen and Jesus tells this story, they have to look back at some point and realize that Jesus could be talking about Peter. Peter is the guy that takes one step forward and one step back over and over again in Scripture. Jesus walks up to him and says, Come, and I will make you a fisher of people. And Peter hops out of the boat and goes right with him. And then Peter doesn't seem to have the faith to fulfill what Jesus sends him out to do, to heal in his name and to cast out demons. And they come back and they're like, why can't we do this? And Jesus says, your faith isn't strong enough. But then when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter's the first one to step up and go, you are the Messiah. You are the one that has come to save us from ourselves. And before Jesus can even go, yes, you're right, Peter turns around and says, and you can't die. Meanwhile, the Messiah came to die. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I need you to get behind me because I have a path that's leading up to a cross and I'm not going to let you stop me from getting there. So while I want to applaud your recognition of who I am and what I'm supposed to do, my affection for you, my commitment and my relationship with you is not going to stop me from bringing that salvation to all the earth. And if you can't get on board with the fact that I'm going to suffer and die for you and everyone else, then you better get out of the way because I'm going. And Peter then gets back on board and says, oh, I love you so much, I would never betray you. I would never down talk you or claim that I didn't know you three times before the cock crowed at dawn. That would never happen. And it does. One step forward and one step back. Peter is an epic backslider. And then, just when you think he has to get it now, he was there on that first Easter morning, the day of resurrection, saw the empty tomb. What does he do? I don't know what else to do. Let's go back to fishing. Literally. And then Jesus appears again on the shore and invites him to come and to eat. And there he quizzes him three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter starts to get upset at this because after you answer the question the first time, you think that Jesus isn't deaf. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me over and over again? And Jesus' response every time is, if you love me, feed my lambs. And the church and tradition has interpreted this to mean sometimes literally feed my lambs. 
Do we open up food pantries? Do we have soup kitchens? Do we have free meals for the community so that those who are literally hungry can be fed? Yes, we do that. And others have said, well, there's a spiritual aspect to that. We need to be able to give people the gospel so that they can be fed spiritually, that they can encounter Jesus Christ and know that the gospel of salvation upon the cross is for them too. And yes, evangelism is part of that call. But there's another piece, one that we don't often think about. And that's that the radical grace that came through the cross, the radical providence that Jesus displayed in literally feeding people by the thousands, also requires us to radically forgive. It requires us to practice in this covenantal community, the covenant of the blood of the cross, that we too will practice forgiving one another. Because after people have been fed and after they have heard the good news, in the midst of living in community, they need to know that they too can be forgiven by one another. They need to know that we will forgive just as we have been forgiven. Because otherwise, people feel like I came in just to catch a glimpse and now I'm out again. That is not the God that we serve. We serve a God who told us the story of the prodigal son. That every time we leave, we are welcomed back. We serve a God who said, I am the good shepherd, and I will leave the 99 to find the one. The one who, by the way, wandered off. That God is constantly proclaiming radical forgiveness for us. And we have to constantly practice radical forgiveness for one another. And that is the struggle of our faith. It is a hard and difficult thing to do. And just when we think to ourselves, it's impossible, I can't do it, we look at the cross and we remember it has already been done for us. That that is our forgiveness. And there is so much forgiveness flowing down out of the cross for each and every one of us that there is more than enough forgiveness to go around in the world. That God has an ending, epic grace we serve a God who isn't just good. We serve a God that is so mind-blowing, physically shaking, earth-transforming, spirit-igniting great. His grace upon the cross is not only sufficient, it is abundant. And we have received it. And we cannot keep it for ourselves. That would be to squander the same forgiveness that the slave squandered and turned right around and held somebody to a standard to which he was not held. We cannot afford to be hypocrites, to not forgive one another, because the truth is that we are modeling this faith. And it is a faith that recognizes that we are not perfect. Some of us were baptized at six weeks or younger. Some of us could live to be 606 and we wouldn't be baptized. But God's grace remains the same. There is no less grace for you because you have not been baptized versus someone who has. The only difference is, is the one who's baptized showing the grace of that baptism to the one who was not. We who have received our baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, we who have received the Holy Spirit at that moment, are required to reveal the glory of God's grace in our lives. And we don't do it because that's the bill. We don't do it because that's the debt. We do it because in that is the glory for God. 
for people who have been forgiven to turn around and forgive, that brings honor and glory to God, our King, our Messiah, our Christ, our Savior, the one who created us, redeemed us, and sustains us every day, whether we are in a state of sin or a state of glory. We have been given this gift, and for far too long we have squandered it from one another within the communion of Christ. And for this, we mourn. For this, we recognize that we have failed to be an obedient church. That we have not always done God's will, especially toward one another. But that because of God's grace at work on us, God's grace can be at work through us to forgive one another and help to show the world that there is a place where radical liberation from debt and sin exists and it is in the church of Jesus Christ. May that be our gospel truth lived out this week especially, but every day until Christ comes to put the final benediction on the kingdom that we are building and the grace that we are bestowing to others. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.